Hello, my name is JD, and I blog over at uncoveringintimacy.com. I was going through the questions I got in February and March, and I came across this one that uh, I kind of wanted to dig in a bit more because I started writing a response to it, and it turned into basically an entire blog post. And as I've been doing this year, uh, I'm turning most of my blog posts into podcasts as well. So I thought I'd address this here as well. Um, They're asking questions about, uh, is there an interaction of souls when we have sex? Uh, Is it an act of worship to God or Satan? You know, should we pray during sex? It had all these things to do with spirituality and sex. So rather than lump it in with all the other questions, I thought I'd spend some time digging into this because I think uh, these are issues that a lot of Christians are confused about. But first, I want to let you know about a couple of things that have been going on. Uh, the first is that for those of you who are supporters, we've made a change to the forum. Uh, you can actually now respond directly to the emails that you get from the forum, and it will post it right in the, th- in the thread. So it's a lot easier to interact. Uh, people seem to be using it a lot and loving it, and it's great. Uh, if you're not a supporter and you're interested in the forum, uh, check out our page at uncoveringintimacy.com slash donate. And if you think, oh, I, I don't have enough money to give, you know what? Actually, the vast majority, I think 78% of our supporters give $5 a month or less. So anything that you want to help us with, uh, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, that, that simple $5 a month from all those people, that actually pays for the majority of our expenses every month. The other thing is on Instagram. Uh, One of the problems that almost every blogger, podcaster, or whatever has with Instagram is that when you post images and write a comment, you can't post links to anything. So I can never uh, post a link to the blog uh, that people can link uh, click on. You're only allowed one link in your entire Instagram account, and that's basically on your profile. So what I did is I built a page that actually automatically grabs all the images that I have in my account in Instagram and relinks them properly. So if you click, if you're in Instagram and you see a link that you'd like to be able to click on and wish you could, instead of typing the whole thing out, all you have to do is click on our profile, follow the link to the website, and um, there you'll see all the last 20 posts with the links intact. So if you follow us on Instagram, maybe check that out. If you don't follow us on Instagram, maybe you should. Uh, the link is just instagram.com slash uncovering intimacy. And if you want to see the page that I built, it's at uncoveringintimacy.com slash Instagram. All right, uh, that's it. Uh, let's get on to this big question. This person writes, what do you think of the claim that when you have sex within marriage, it's an act of worship to God, but when you have sex outside of marriage, it's an act of worship to Satan? that either way is an act of worship to one or the other. He said he just read this on another website. Also, what's your belief about what's happening spiritually during sex? Obviously, two bodies are becoming one flesh. Scripture makes that pretty clear. What about souls? What about spirits? My understanding is that soul equals the mind slash personality and the spirit equals the internal part of every person. But some people use the term soul and spirit interchangeably. Are souls slash spirits communing together during sex? Are souls slash spirits mingling together during sex? Do souls slash spirits become one for a time during sex? Or is that even a biblical concept since it says one flesh and not one spirit slash soul? It kind of sounds like Eastern philosophy. And where is God in the midst of all this? Yes, it's a ministry, and I understand that marriage slash intimacy is a picture of Christ's love for his church, but I wonder if my and others' understanding could be more complete. Also, 
if both the husband and the wife are believers, and we both have a mind, bracket, soul, spirit of Christ, 1 Corinthians verse 2, and the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is something different happening during sex between believers. For instance, communion with one another spirit facilitated by the Holy Spirit. Another somewhat related question, should Christians pray during sex? Not before, not after, but during. If a married couple is wanting to become as intimate as possible, the two best things to do to increase intimacy are praying together and having sex together. Then should these routinely be combined? What about praise and worship during sex? I've heard of people singing the doxology right after orgasm. At first, I thought this sounded a little unorthodox. Actually, I admit it sounded downright crazy. But this could just be because of my upbringing, and the idea is starting to grow on me. Thoughts? All right. So I see three main topics here. Uh, The first is, is sex an act of worship? The second is, what are souls and what happens to them when you have sex? And the third is, should you pray during sex? Let's start with, is sex an act of worship? Just to remind you of the question, he wrote, What do you think of the claim that when you have sex within marriage, it's an act of worship to God, but when you have sex outside of marriage, it's an act of worship to Satan? That either way, it's an act of worship to one or the other. And apparently he read this comment on another website, but he didn't tell us which one. So we kicked this around a bit in our supporters forum, and many said kind of the same thing, that everything we do is an act of worship, whether we're giving worship to God or to Satan, knowingly or unknowingly. And I happen to agree with this. This is why I get very frustrated when people say, you know, doctrine doesn't matter. It matters because in everything we do, we're either drawing closer to God or away from him. That said, I don't think it's as simple a distinction of uh, sex within marriage is worship to God and sex outside of marriage is worship to Satan. Frankly, I'm not sure with our sinful nature that we can ever have a pure kind of worship of God situation. I think it's all, probably always tainted by sin in some way. I do think that we have more potential to have it worshipful to God in marriage than outside. And I think any sex outside of marriage, though marriage is kind of difficult to define biblically, uh, any any sex outside of marriage is against God's will. But I think in those situations, there are those who are being self-sacrificing, loving, and caring, uh, even when they're having sex outside of marriage or aren't married. And those are still godry, godly attributes. So even though they don't realizing they're reflecting God in those situations, I'd argue that those are partially honoring God, uh, even while they dishonor him by their actions you know, by having sex in the context of not a committed relationship. So in the same way, we can have kind of quote-unquote godly sex within marriage, but be focused on our own selfish desires rather than sharing love or having sex out of guilt rather than out of a love for a spouse. And in those ways, we, we're really honoring a split from God rather than worshiping God. So I think there's, we have a lot of variations of gray rather than a clear black and white. Now, I would imagine that's a kind of a frustrating answer for many. Uh, it's frustrating for me. I tend to be very black and white in my theology, as some of you may have noticed. Uh, but sin is one of those things where we all sin almost all the time, if not all the time. And if there's any black and white about it, then it's all black. Uh, that said, I think being cognizant of who who is this worshiping is a great idea. Uh, we should be more focused on does this honor God or not. And to that end, I don't want people thinking, oh, well, I'm married, so I don't need to think about it anymore, or that all married sex is godly. So that's a 
my answer to the first part. The second one is this whole concept of what are souls and what happens to them when you have sex. So Christianity is split all over the map on this. However, I think uh, most of it has been heavily influenced by society and media rather than the Bible. It's been going on for centuries, uh, so much so that most people can't tell you why they believe what they believe about souls. Um, They don't know where they learned it or where it came from. For example, many Christians still believe in soulmates, for which there is absolutely no biblical evidence. Uh, The concept of soulmates came from one of Plato's stories called The Symposium. Uh, It's actually actually a story written within another story uh, where Plato tells of uh, human beings created by the gods uh, with four arms and four legs and two heads. And these humans were so powerful that the gods were scared that they would take over. So the gods split the humans in half, male and female, uh, with only two legs, two arms, one head, so that the humans would spend their entire lives searching for their soulmate, the one that they've been split apart from, so that they can feel whole, whole again rather than fighting the gods. So Plato comes up with a story, and uh, people hear it, and it's around the same time, you know, Greek and Roman kind of era, and it somehow made its way into Christianity, and now we have pastors preaching about soulmates and things like that, and blog posts from Christian authors about soulmates. And they'll pull a couple of verses kind of out of context to support this idea, but there's really no, no biblical standing for this. Similarly, you know, we have this idea of an immortal soul that comes from mythology as well, and also has no biblical basis. You know, the Bible is very clear that immortality belongs only to God. You know, one Timothy 6, verse 15 to 16 says that, and it's conferred to us only upon the second coming and only to believers. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 is the verse for that one. Uh, the Bible tells us that the dead know nothing, they see nothing, they don't even love. You know, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5 to 6. Um, Jesus said, nobody has been to heaven yet except for Jesus and that's John 6, verse 4 to 6. So if nobody's been to heaven, then how can there be immortal souls that have already gone to heaven? Um, it also says that the dead in Christ, so the believers, will remain dead until Christ comes again and they are raised as part of the first resurrection. Uh, that's in Daniel 12, verse 2, and Revelation 20, verse 4 to 6. Uh, if you want all these verses, you don't have to write them all down. Uh, you can just check out the blog post and I'll have them all there. But this teaching of... Uh, souls and what is the status of a soul is an immortal immortal some uh churches teach as the questioner states in his own question that the soul is a separate part from the body Uh, the bible teaches us something different it teaches us that the soul is the combination of the body and the spirit of god you know we have genesis uh, 2 verse 7 which is the first time the mention of a soul comes up and it says and the lord god formed man in the of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living soul. So in other words, a soul is the body plus the the breath or the breath of life or the spirit of God. So if your body dies, then so does your soul. Uh, It's not mortal as we, as I said earlier, uh, it will only exist again upon the second coming um, when the breath of God reenters your renewed body. Daniel 12 verse 13 says, but, but you go your way till the end for you shall rest and will rise to your inheritance at the end of days. You know, Daniel was very clear about this theology. He knew exactly what was going to happen when people died. He said in Daniel 12 verse two, which I mentioned earlier, uh, 
He wrote, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. You know, uh, Daniel knew that while you're dead, nothing happens. Your soul isn't off traveling to heaven because Jesus said no one has been to heaven. It's not an angel because those are separate created beings. Angels are not deceased humans. Um, it's not looking out for its loved ones. Uh, when Lazarus died, Jesus said that he slept. You know, John 11 verse 11b says, uh, Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go then I may wake him up. Um, Lazarus wasn't singing praises in heaven. Um, Psalm 6 verse 5 says, For in death there is no remembrance of you in the grave who will give you thanks. They're talking about God. Um, You know, he wasn't thinking. Psalm 146 verse 3 and 4 say, Do not put your trust in princes nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs and he returns to his earth. In that very day his plans perish. So in other words, when the spirit leaves, he's dead. You know, he's not remembering anything of his life here on earth. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 uh, ha- says, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. So Lazarus was dead waiting to be woken up, you know, in quotes, as all dead people are. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16 to 17 says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the tr- trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be always be with you, Lord. So we have all these verses that tell us, you know, this is what happens uh, when you die. You, you, you sleep, you wait for Christ to come back again. Nothing else is happening. And you know people don't understand it because Frankly, usually the pastors don't understand it. If you go to a funeral, you pay really close attention to the pastor. Most of them betray the fact that they have no idea what's happening to the recently deceased. They will tell you that they're resting in the grave, waiting to be resurrected, which is true. Uh, They'll also tell you that they're in heaven now, which is false. And they'll also tell us that they're always with us, which is false, and a host of other things, uh, typically all within the same talk. Or uh, they'll split it up. They'll say one thing at the gravesite and say another thing in the sermon later, or a few things in the sermon later. By the time their sermon is done, they've split this poor soul three or four ways, and they have him in all different places. And it's not that they're intending to be confusing, it's just that they're reading the typical funeral verses that everyone reads without actually paying attention to what they're saying. They're just trying to comfort their families, which I get, but let's not teach them bad theology in the process. You know, our comfort should come from the Bible in knowing that our loved ones who follow God are resting from all their plans and struggles in this life, and the next thing they will know is the resurrection. Christ will return, they will be raised, and they will put on immortality. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 to 54 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So after all the wicked are dis- after all the wicked are destroyed, after the second resurrection, there will be no um no more death everywhere 
ever for anyone. No pain, no sorrow. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now, I feel I should address one common rebuttal to all this, is that people always ask, well, what about the thief on the cross? Now, for those who don't know, Jesus was crucified with two thieves. Uh, One taunted Jesus along with the crowds, uh, and one defended Jesus. And according to the King James Version, uh, it writes in Luke 23, verse 43, And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so they take from this saying, oh, Jesus said, today he'll be with him in paradise. Therefore, the thief went to to heaven with Jesus that day. But this causes a problem later on when a few days later, after his resurrection, Jesus says to Mary, do not cling to me for I'm not yet ascended to my father. That's found in John 20, verse 17. So how is it that Jesus hadn't been to heaven yet if he had promised the thief that he would meet him there days ago? Uh, Here's what I think happened. I think the translator injected his own beliefs into the translation, that, or it's just a typo. You see, in Greek, uh, Greek doesn't have commas, neither does Hebrew, but this would have been translated out of uh, a Greek gospel. So if you move just one comma, a word to the right, suddenly this verse aligns with the rest of scripture. And uh, some translations have actually done this. Uh, There's a concordant literal version, which is a very, very mechanical kind of literal translation. And uh, they wrote, and Jesus said to him, verily to you, I am saying today, comma, with me, you shall be in paradise. So it's not that he was saying, oh, you'll be in paradise with me today. He's saying, I'm telling you today, you will be with me in paradise sometime in the future. So just by shifting a comma, uh, we have not really changed scripture. Arguably, we've corrected a bad translation and at the same time realigned the Bible with itself, including Jesus's own words days later. So hopefully that clears up some misunderstandings of what a soul is. Uh, a soul is your body plus the spirit slash breath of God. It's not separate. It's not immortal. It doesn't survive past death. Uh, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. So with that in mind, let's look back at his question. So he wrote, what is your belief about what's happening spiritually during sex? Obviously, two bodies are becoming one flesh. Scripture makes this pretty clear. What about souls? He was asking, you know, what happens with the soul when you're having sex? Are they merging? Are they mingling? Etc. So if we go with the understanding that a soul is your body and the breath slash spirit of God, then this really becomes a non-issue. What's happening to your soul? The same thing that's happened to your body because they're fairly synonymous. What's happening to the spirit? Same thing. It's a part of you. You can't really separate it. If you did, then you'd cease to be a soul and you'd be dead. So do souls slash spirits become one for a time during sex? Only in the same way that we say two bodies become one. And does something differently happen between believers and non-believers? Personally, I don't see how... um, whether they believe or not, they're still souls with bodies and the spirit slash breath of God. So the last part was, uh, should Christians pray during sex? Uh, as in not before, not after, but during. So my personal thought was that you shouldn't be afraid to pray during sex, but we shouldn't feel compelled to, except in the case that, uh, you know, we should be praying unceasingly, which I think is more, uh, our life should be a living prayer. 
So I wrote in our supporters forum this week uh, when discussing this question that I've definitely prayed during sex. Usually it's something like, please God, let her have an orgasm soon. Uh, Typically when she's getting really frustrated and I'm getting really tired. But if you're worrying constantly that you should be praying during sex, then you're unlikely to have a productive prayer or a productive sexual session. So I think there are times that we can choose to put our focus on one thing or another. Ecclesiastes 3 uh, has this big litany uh, that starts with, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Um, I think that includes prayer and sex. Uh, In fact, one of the lines in there says, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Um, I'm told that's a euphemism for uh, it's a time to have sex and a time to refrain from having sex. And the next line is a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. But my wife and I have definitely said a prayer of thanks for sex and orgasms uh, after sex. Uh, I can't say we've ever sang a doxology afterwards, but hey, if that's your thing, go for it. I don't think it's weird. It might be outside of normal behavior, but who cares? So hopefully that answers your questions. Uh, I'm sure some of you are going to have some other questions raising from this. Uh, This is not what a lot of churches teach. Frankly, a lot of churches don't really dig into this stuff much. Um, I'm more than willing to answer any that you might have. You can email me at j at uncoveringintimacy.com or write it in the comments below. Um, Yeah, that's it for today. I hope to have the rest of the February and March questions out soon as well. Uh, I'm trying to work through uh, the data analysis for our last survey. Uh, It takes a while. There's a lot of data to pour through and a lot of questions. And this one was a little bit more complex than others since uh, they're very gender specific questions. But yeah, hang in there. It will come. In the meantime, if you're if you have a question that you want to ask anonymously, you can visit our Have a Question page. Uh, if you'd like to join in the discussions as they come in, then I invite you to check out our support page at uncoveringintimacy.com/donate. Um, any level of support gives you access to the form and, as well, helps us continue to do this thing. Continue to have the time, the resources, and uh, cover all the costs of all the many types of hosting it takes to um, host a blog and a podcast and a mailing list and webinars and everything else that we do. So for my supporters, I will see you on the forum. The rest of you, I'll talk to you when I get another post up.